tuned for the WBAI Evening News being presented by Gays Against Guns. Radio Gag, coming up. Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. Prepare to gag, yeah. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. I'm Sarah. And I'm Trisha. And I'm Paul. Today being Climate Tuesday, we will be talking about the climate of gun violence here at home and internationally. But first, here's what Gays Against Guns is all about. It's our mission. So, Gays Against Guns New York is an inclusive, direct action group of LGBTQ people and their allies, committed to non-violently breaking the gun industry's chain of death. Investors, manufacturers, the NRA, and politicians who block safer gun laws. We're New York-based, but work with gag chapters in other cities to ensure safety for all individuals, particularly vulnerable communities such as people of colour, women, people who struggle with mental health issues, LGBTQ people and religious minorities. GAG condemns white supremacy, all instances of excessive force by police and police militarization. Thank you, Paul. Now let's begin as we do every meeting by having Trisha remind us why GAG exists with Immemorium. This is when we take time to honor one of the many people who lost their lives due to gun violence. We say their names to keep them alive in our memories. Hurricane Ivan touched down on Florida on September 16, 2004. The violence of the storm was extreme, and thanks to climate change, rising sea levels now made Florida's Emerald Coast extremely vulnerable to flooding. Over the course of two days, Hurricane Ivan killed more than a dozen people and destroyed much of Florida's northern coastline. In the weeks after the storm, workers across the country headed to Florida to work on restoring power and rebuilding homes. One of these workers was Rodney Cox. Rodney was a young father from North Carolina, an easygoing sports enthusiast who loved swimming with his kids, trout fishing, and golfing at the local public course. In Florida, he quickly found work with FEMA, helping to clean up the damage the storm had brought. Rodney had never been away from his wife and children for an extended time. When he called his mother from Florida on the night of November 2nd, he was clearly homesick. He had made an earlier call that evening to 911 reporting that his camper had been broken into. A deputy responding to the site found him confused. The encounter ended with Cox saying he was moving to a hotel and loading his luggage into the truck of someone on the property who offered him a ride. It's unclear how he ended up later that night on foot, without his luggage, and miles from his trailer. But he was lost and disoriented when he was seen next. That was at 2 a.m., by a couple who were temporarily sleeping in an RV parked in front of their own damaged home. The woman in the trailer saw a stranger, Rodney, outside. Her husband grabbed a handgun and went out to confront him. The homeowner fired a warning shot into the ground to scare off the stranger. Rodney Cox ran, not away, but into the RV, probably for cover. The man followed him inside the trailer and shot him dead. The shooting of Rodney Cox was tragic. Its aftermath, devastating. In court, Rodney Cox's death was distorted to build the case for Florida's stand-your-ground bill. One Florida lawmaker invoked the incident this way in support of the proposed law. The elderly couple was, quote, trying to sleep when an intruder came in on them. The man shot the intruder, wounded him, did not fatally kill him, and for six months had to wonder if he'd be charged with shooting the man. End quote. 
In fact, Rodney Cox was fatally shot. And in fact, he wasn't intruding on a gun owner, but was rather chased by the gun owner into the owner's home. The sad case hardly argues the sanctity of one's home is guaranteed by a gun. And a gun kept Rodney Cox from ever returning to his home and family. Okay, so now it's time for the gag news. Yesterday, the Washington Post reported on Montgomery County, Tennessee, a place with one of the lowest voter turnouts in the nation. The Post asks, could this be the year that Tennessee's Montgomery County shows up to vote? Northwest of Nashville, Montgomery County often has one of the lowest voting rates in the state, in a state that has one of the lowest voting rates in the country, and in a country that has one of the lowest rates in the world, trailing most developed nations, the United States of America. During the divisive 2016 presidential election, Montgomery County registered its lowest turnout in the past six presidential elections. Of residents who were old enough to vote, just 42% actually did, according to the Post analysis. I had no reason to, said Austin Beatty, 25, a call center operator and libertarian who didn't vote in the last two presidential elections and doesn't plan to vote in November. I just don't feel I can change politics, or if I could change it, I'd just be voting for someone whose solutions I don't agree with. In another part of Tennessee, the deadliest mass shooting so far this month took place, a possible murder-suicide in which five children were killed by their mother, who took her own life. News 4's Today in Nashville reports the Maury County Sheriff confirmed that investigators believe the mother killed her four children before turning the gun on herself. Sheriff Bucky Rowland identified the mother as 55-year-old Cynthia Collier. The children, three girls and one boy, have been identified as 14-year-old Bo Lee, 14-year-old Megan Lynn, 15-year-old Leah Lynn, and 17-year-old Kaylee Lynn. He said all four, four children were adopted. There have been 154 mass shootings in the U.S. so far this year, and suicides account for two-thirds of the 38,000 gun deaths per year in the United States. Protests have erupted across the world, including here in New York, as the Trump administration published a memo which outlines plans to define gender as a biological condition determined by genitalia at birth, male or female, and unchangeable. This is the latest in a series of transphobic policies from the GOP, who state that disputes about an individual's sex would have to be clarified using genetic testing, according to a report from the New York Times. The new definition would eradicate recognition of the minimum of 1.5 million Americans who currently choose to publicly recognize themselves as a gender other than the one they were born into. Gays Against Guns is partnering with many other groups to ensure this discriminatory practice never comes into play. Trans rights are human rights. This week, The Trace reported that yesterday marked the 50th anniversary of the signing of the Gun Control Act of 1968, which prohibited interstate and mail-order gun sales, established a federal licensing system for gun sellers, and raised the minimum age to buy a handgun to 21. The legislation, inspired by the assassinations of JFK, Robert Kennedy, and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., marked the first federal gun control legislation enacted in the U.S. in three decades. Upon signing it, President Lyndon Johnson said the bill fell short because Congress refused to adopt all of his recommendations particularly the national registration of all guns and the licensing of those who carry those guns, 
and he wasn't shy about who deserved the blame. The voices that blocked these safeguards were not the voices of an aroused nation, he said. They were the voices of a powerful lobby, a gun lobby, that has prevailed for the moment in an election year. The NRA, hard at work in 1968. Germany has come out as the first major U.S. ally to halt arms sales to Saudi Arabia in the wake of the killing of Washington Post columnist Jamal Khashoggi. The move would put pressure on bigger exporters to do the same. Germany accounts for a small share of European sales to Saudi Arabia after curbing exports amid human rights concerns. Britain and France sell the most EU weapons to the Saudis. Britain alone sold 1.4 billion of military equipment in the first six months of last year. Trump continues to rule out suspending exports. In what has now become a typical Trump cocktail of mixed messaging, he has described the Saudis as being both credible and devious. In May 2017, Trump visited Saudi, where his ridiculous sword dance posturing took place, perhaps surpassed only recently by Theresa May's post-colonial robotic dance moves in front of African leaders as she tried to boost Britain's post-Brexit export prospects. May was there to sell weapons, not to challenge the governments of Kenya and Nigeria on their human rights records. In both countries, it is still illegal to be gay due to laws introduced by the colonial British themselves when they were occupying these countries. Trump's sword swinging was to cement deals with the Saudis to purchase U.S. arms totaling $110 billion, with a further $350 billion over the next 10 years, thought to be a counterbalance against the influence of Iran in the region. Trump denies any personal investment in the region, however, while on the campaign trail last, repeatedly boasted, I get along with all of them, they buy apartments from me, they pay me hundreds of millions, how am I supposed to dislike them? I like them very much. So now, we turn to our special focus of the week, the climate of gun violence. And a recurring feature we have on Radio Gag is our Nightmare of the Week. Just in time for Halloween, our returning feature, Nightmare of the Week, featuring Jim Inhofe. The worst type of nightmare is the one that is stubbornly persistent. The one that keeps haunting you even as everything around you changes. This is what makes Jim Inhofe a Republican senator from Oklahoma who has held public office since 1967, a perfect candidate for Nightmare of the Week. Inhofe is probably best known for his notorious stunt on the Senate floor back in 2015, when he brought a snowball into the Capitol as a counter-argument to global warming. Inhofe's reasoning was simple. It was very, very cold out, and therefore the Earth could not be warming up. It might strike some as boneheaded to use a snowball as argument against a scientific consensus, but Inhofe has repeatedly shown that he is comfortable with using preposterous evidence to further his own agenda. After the 2017 Las Vegas shooting, which left 58 dead, Inhofe blamed sanctuary cities and their lawless cultures instead of inadequate gun control laws for the massacre. No matter that the shooter wasn't from a sanctuary city, that there are no sanctuary cities in the state of Nevada, and that the worst mass shooting in the history of the United States actually offered no pretext for racism, Inhofe managed to express it anyway, through pure reflex, and also to confirm his NRA rating of A+. His arguments might come across as absurd, but it's important to remember that Inhofe is a powerful man whose reasoning, flawed as it is, holds a fair amount of sway and can cause real damage. Inhofe has garnered a 0% in every one of his terms on the Human Rights Campaign scorecard, and he is in favor of a constitutional amendment that would ban same-sex marriage. He's voted no on banning high-capacity magazines of over 10 bullets, which are often used in mass shootings, 
and has voted yes on loosening license and background checks at gun shows. And he has repeatedly voted against climate action, based on his concerns of the overregulation of businesses, prioritizing the health of large corporations over the health of the planet. If his voting record isn't enough to convince you that Inhofe is a threat to public safety, his actions outside of office might. Inhofe has a pilot's license, which he often uses. In 2010, at 76, he landed his plane on a closed runway at an airport in Texas, scattering construction workers and nearly hitting a truck. The airport manager, speaking to the Federal Aviation Administration, attested, I've got over 50 years of flying, three tours of Vietnam, and I can assure you I have never seen such blatant disregard for human life. Inhofe, ever delusional, claimed he did nothing wrong and accused the Federal Aviation Administration of agency overreach. He then sponsored a bill, which passed, to create a pilot's bill of rights and diminish the FAA's authority, which had so unfairly targeted him. Inhofe has been in power far too long, creating a nightmare for those who want climate action, tighter gun laws, LGBT rights, and safe airways. In 2020, it's up to us to vote and bring about Inhofe's ultimate nightmare, his loss of power. Trisha, how do you think Inhofe has influenced the current political environment, and what is his link to the military? Well, <clears throat> Inhofe is chairman of the Senate Armed Services Committee, and he's a man who makes foreign policy decisions based on passages from the Bible. <laughs> he made a speech before the U.S. Senate asserting that the 9-11 terrorist attacks were a form of divine retribution against the U.S. for failing to defend Israel, and has said that Israel has a right to the land, quote, because God said so, look it up in the book of Genesis, end quote. The problem is, someone who thinks that God is telling him what our foreign policy should be probably isn't going to listen much to other people's opinions on the matter. Yeah, so part of the research I was doing also involved the military for, uh, for this show, um, digging into the relationship between the two of the world's most destructive polluters, um, thereby the arms industry and the oil business. And wow, I put a piece together called Sell Guns, Buy Oil. Okay, bear with us, folks. This is super dense and <laughs> just like a very quick primer into lots more research we'll cover, but um, take a listen. Digging into the history of global pollution, we find sinister links connecting the oil industry, arms dealers, and resource stripping in post-colonial countries. The SAS, a British Army Special Forces unit involved in covert missions, was founded in 1947 by David Sterling. Their slogan, who dares wins, became synonymous with deadly precision military strikes, but also a form of high-risk buccaneer capitalism that is responsible for massive environmental devastation and human conflict. Post-World War II, as the colonial empire of the British began to collapse, Sterling and his cabal of aristocrats thought the UK could maintain influence internationally by providing British weapons and mercenaries to other countries in the Gulf and in Africa. And so began the sell guns, buy oil model, which continues to this day. In 1962, Sterling ran a UK-sanctioned force on behalf of the Saudis against Nassar when Egypt invaded Yemen, the first of many interventions using covert British mercenaries, first in the Gulf to protect interests in the Saudi oil fields, later during the Biafran War because of the oil in the Niger Delta. 
The Saudi conservative monarchies had grown dependent on Western support to ensure their survival as Nasserism gained traction, the pan-Arabist secular ideology often called Arab socialism, which is opposed ideologically to Western capitalism and argues for autonomous decision-making in the Arab world. This becomes more complicated as Arab oil producers pushed back against Western support of Israel, learning that their oil could give leverage. First, during the Suez Canal crisis of 1956, when the UK, France and Israel invaded Egypt, again less successfully when war broke out between Egypt and Israel in 1967. This hit a crisis point though with the 1973 oil embargo. Crude oil itself became weaponized in the global market. OPEC instigated an embargo targeting nations who supported Israel during the Yom Kippur War, including the United Kingdom and the United States. During the embargo, UK domestic electricity was reduced at times to three days a week and the price of crude oil quadrupled, positioning the Saudis in a new position of global power. Sterling and his mercenaries went on to work protecting African leaders against military coups while facilitating the stripping of their natural resources by Europe in the post-colonial era. A practice that has led to corruption, impoverished nations drained of their riches and horrific resource wars such as we have seen in the Democratic Republic of Congo, Sierra Leone and Iraq. So what we have witnessed as our industrialised Western society has forced change of the global map from empire to post-colonised appropriated territory is a facilitation of corporate asset stripping and a symbiotic growth of the weapons industry in parallel with the extraction of minerals and fossil fuels which now leads us to a point where the geography of the planet is divided into dead earth where nothing can grow and militarised urban areas where no one can live. So, on world climate and gun violence, we've all found some amazing stories. Links between climate change deniers and gun control deniers and giant polluters? Oh my! Let's talk first about the pollution of militarism and climate change. Paul, you had a mind-blowing story. A friend of yours told you about the U.S. military, right? Right. Well, I wouldn't exactly call this guy a friend. Um, but like I was saying, I, was, I worked with this ex-Air Force guy on an editing job years ago in California. He was a pilot. And he told me when it was uh, coming to the end of the financial year, they'd always be worried about spending their entire annual military budget. So t- to not spend it meant that you got less cash allocated for the upcoming year. So rather than come in under budget, which would be, of course, admirable goal in any other industry, this guy's commanding officer would have the pilots fuel up, fly out to sea, dump a ton of fuel into the Pacific, fly back and repeat and repeat and repeat for days. Like just one of the most disgusting things I've ever heard. Maybe this story explains why an activist I talked to said the U.S. military is the biggest polluter in the world. Mm-hmm. And then there's the Wild West mentality. I was living in San Francisco when Harvey Milk and Mayor Marsconi were shot by Dan White, the poster child for toxic white masculinity. Dan White was acting out a personal vendetta, although his defense was that he was depressed, as evidenced by his eating junk food. Tricia, you did plenty of research this week. Where do you see the connection between a macho mindset, climate deniers, and Second Amendment enthusiasts? Wow. Uh, Well, they all deny facts. Climate changers, deni- climate change deniers, more obviously, they deny science. But the culture of machismo denies what it means to live in a civil society. That often there's a trade-off between individual rights and the common good. 
the macho Second Amendment enthusiast, as you put it, denies that an individual's freedom to buy any kind of firearm competes with public safety, which is our common good. Weapons of mass slaughter aren't useful for hunting or home protection. That's a fact. But I doubt it will never be admitted by the other side. I love the analysis of O. Ricardo Pimentel from MySanAntonio.com. He said, in both cases, climate change and gun violence, there exist reasonable measures that will neither harm the economy nor threaten private gun ownership. But on guns, here's the difference. There is a failure to embark on such broad, federally funded research. And there has been significant effort exerted to halt even talking about the issue. The Sutherland Springs shooting being just the latest example, 26 dead, nearly half children. And, you know, speaking of federally funded research, that leads right into the Dickey Amendment, which was lobbied for by the NRA. This amendment is named after its author, Jay Dickey, a Republican representative from Arkansas, and was inserted as a rider into the 96 federal government spending bill. This mandates that none of the funds made available for injury prevention and control at the CDC may be used to advocate or promote gun control. So basically, it stops the CDC from doing any proper research into gun violence as, a, as the public health crisis that it is with, as Trisha said, over 38,000 dead every year, which is more than car accidents. We'll be having a full show on that nasty piece of legis- legislation uh, in, on an upcoming show. Uh, next up in our very gag style, we're going to take a massive climate swing and talk about Sing Out Louise. Sing Out Louise is our satirical, singing, political quartet who you'll find out in the streets and at marches all over the city. They take well-known songs and put a political twist on them. Pop songs, patriotic songs, you name it. Here we have their current song about climate change, Too Damn Hot. Okay, coming to you live from the airport at San Diego. You tell me. It's too darn hot. Too darn hot. The lion's lair is deserted tonight. Poor polar bear, not an iceberg in sight. Not anywhere for a bird to alight. The coral's bare, yeah, we turned it all white. We had a prayer, but we weren't very bright. Now it's too darn hot. Too darn hot. Hot, hot, hot. Too darn hot. The Celsius climbing higher tonight. And NASA says things are dire, all right. Los Angeles isn't fire tonight. Miami is sinking right out of sight. It's such a mess. Join our choir and fight because it's too darn hot. The Cheeto says it's only a hoax, but the seas are rising high. And hurricanes ain't playing now, folks. The end of times is nigh. But we keep burning that fossil fuel, cause the profits are just too steep. We can't quit, though the sh- is deep. Yeah, it's too darn hot. Too darn hot. It's too darn hot. You know it's too darn hot. It's too darn, too darn hot. It's too darn hot. 
Thank you, and thanks to Michael, my rhythm section here. It was really fun. <laughs> Bye, guys. <laughs> Great. Thanks for making us laugh. Thank you, Mark. Yeah. Thank you. you can find out more about Sing Out Louise via their Facebook page uh, on uh, singoutlouise.org. And to find out more about the work we do at Gays Against Guns, follow gaysagainstguns.net or Gays Against Guns NY on Facebook and Instagram. And on our website, you can connect also with our national chapters from L.A., D.C., Ohio. We are all across the country. Our next GAG group meeting is in the LGBT Center in New York City this Thursday, the 25th at 7 p.m. And all are welcome. GAG are also queening out Soviet style as Russian spy robots in the annual New York City Halloween Parade, October 31st. That's a really fun one to get involved with, led by our own gag super spy, Nina Butina Butina Kalashnikova. <laughs> and the Saturday before, there's a daytime Russian robot costume party at Lucky Bar in the East Village, where we'll be making up our Soviet spy drag looks. And I'm going as a spy in the ballot box. Vote out the Russians! <laughs> And we hear that Gag are planning a special pre-election day, get the vote out, zap against some of the NRA puppets running for election, who you're going to be hearing about next week on the show. Um, that's at Grand Central and Penn Station. Um, come along to the meeting on Thursday or check out our online presence to find out more about this. And also in a semi-Gag-related situation, Newfest, the New York City Lesbian and Gay Film Festival, kicks off this week. And this Sunday, the 28th at noon, my short film, The Red Tree, which features performances by many gag members and footage of our human beings, is playing in a film programme called Our Queer Histories. Um, the film is about Mussolini's prison island for gay men. And uh, newfest.org for info on that. Uh, we've been here for over a month now, and we love spending time with you. So if you love spending time with us, please show it by becoming a gag bay buddy. Just go to WBAI.org or call 516-620-3602 and become a Bay Buddy in the name of Radio Gag. Gag, yes. We end every meeting with our shout-outs. So, it's time for the hell yes. woo Hell yeah <laughs> to listeners like you. Thank you. Hell, hell yeah! yeah. Hell yeah to all the people postcarding, texting, phone banking, knocking on doors to get out the vote. Hell, hell yeah. yeah. And hell yeah to all our trans sisters and brothers and allies who are stepping up to support them as this hideous administration continues to attack us all. Hell, hell yeah. yeah. Remember, Gag is watching. Listen to Radio Gag. This is Amy Millan, pianist and musical director of Yamboa, a new salsa experiment created by Anthony Carrillo. You can see and hear Yamboa live on November 18 at SOBs during WBAI's Salsa Explosion fundraiser. Also appearing in this all-star lineup at SOB's Sunday, November 18th will be Johnny Dandy Rodriguez and his dream team, Bobby Allende and Ocho y Mas, Charanga Pacha, and the Quintero Salsa Project with Luisito and Roberto Quintero. So please join me in supporting WBAI and take advantage of this opportunity to catch all five of these legendary and groundbreaking bands on Sunday, November 18th at SOB's located at 204 Barrack Street on the corner of Barrack and Housing Street. For more information, call 212-243-4940 or visit www.sobs.com. See you there.
Hello, WBAI members. It is once again time for your local station board election. My name is Kiani Bria, and I'm your local election supervisor for the 2018 election. Your local station board members represent you, WBAI's member listeners, and help determine the direction of the station. The nomination period is open until October 24th, and you can get a candidate application package by visiting WBAI.org. There are currently nine vacant listener seats and three staff member vacancies. Visit WBAI.org for more details and to nominate yourself, another member, or your favorite WBAI staff member. Stay tuned for other ways to participate in the 2018 Local Station Board election, which will be held November 15th through December 20th, 2018. So, you want funny? <laughs> WBAI's comedy show will bring you funny, as a matter of fact. You will die laughing. <laughs> Wednesday, October 31st, Halloween, at 7.30 p.m. at the Brooklyn Commons, 388 Atlantic Avenue. Be there for fun, laughter, spooky surprises, yes. Admission, $13. You get $3 back towards Witch's Brew at the Commons. Yes, you will laugh till you die. <laughs> WBAI's Halloween Benefit Comedy Show, Wednesday, October 31st at 7.30 p.m. at the Brooklyn Commons. Become a BAI buddy at the door and get free admission. For more information, go to Too Raw for Radio. That's the number four on Facebook. This is WBAI New York 99.5 FM and WBAI.org online. We continue our programming day as we have special programming, theme programming today, and it's all focused on the climate, environment, and everything else in between. This is Climate Tuesday programming here on WBAI. And if you appreciate what we've been doing and what we've been attempting to do and continue to do, please consider becoming a financial supporter to this radio station right now by calling 516-605-1111. 516-605-1111. 